to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. Steve, we're not at home anymore. Hi, Chris. I had to travel. I had to get up early. I had to take a plane. Hi. You poor soul. You poor, you're here, but we're in Dallas, Texas, and with us is none other than Pastor Neil Tamba. Pastor Neil, how are you? I'm great, Chris. It's so good to get to be here with you and Steve, having listened to you many, many times. He's one. He's, he's one of the seven. That's no, right. Steve, I'm number eight. <laughs> I, I forced my way on here just to say I'm officially number eight. I love it. Well, welcome in, everybody. Uh, we have Pastor Neil Tamba. Let me tell you who Pastor Neil is to me. Uh, for many years, I lived in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and then started ministering with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. What's amazing is that these two men, Pastor Neil and Steve Herzig, were very influential people in my life uh, from a distance while I lived here in Dallas. Steve was, of course, overseeing my work uh, when I was doing ministry here with Friends of Israel in Dallas, and Neil was my pastor. And so this is a world, these are worlds colliding, everybody, worlds colliding. Dangerous. Okay. It's, it is dangerous. It's dangerous. But Neil uh, has been very influential. He was my pastor, my shepherd in the years that I was here at Northwest Bible Church. Uh, he allowed me to speak many times from the pulpit, which I know is not an easy thing to give up as a pastor, that, uh, especially to somebody you don't know that well, questioning if they can even speak. Well, actually, Chris, you know I got to hear you multiple times. We've been on trips to Israel together, and I think I should just sneak it in. One of the things that I first saw Chris on stage was he got recruited by our worship team and was playing the drums. That's exactly... <laughs> Well, you and sometimes know, I heard not very good. That's right. It was a little <laughs> mediocre. And then at the same time, I would actually play drums at Steve Herzig's house with his boys when we had a band. So that, that is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, Neil, um, I'm so glad that Neil invited us to come down, Steve and I, to come down to Dallas. We're going to be hosting an event um, mm -hmm. tomorrow night um, that's all about what's going on in Israel and Gaza from a biblical perspective. Uh, and so I'm very excited about this, Neil. And I wanted to hear from you. Why, why, why is this something that you thought was important yes. for your... And I, we wanted to do this earlier. It just worked out. Nobody that, invites us, Neil. <laughs> we, we were so happy. A trip to Texas. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, we had to schlep a lot of stuff. But what a what a great thing. Who had Thank to schlep a lot of stuff? You had to schlep a lot of stuff. <laughs> go ahead, Neil. Sorry. So, you know, Chris, I think I got to go back to when I became a believer. So I grew up in a home that we went to church some, but I'd never read the Bible. Mm. And then I become a believer when I was in college at Louisiana State University. I like to call it, say I went to the Harvard of the South. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I start reading the whole Bible, mm -hmm. the whole story of the Bible, and I begin to see, oh, this thing about Israel is coming up over and over again. You got an Old Testament full of Israel. You got a um, first, the church was Jewish people. You have a Messiah named Jesus who's Jewish and really began to read that and then was exposed to other things. And I'll, I'll share one quick story that really captures how my heart got captured. Sometimes I'm riding my bike. I like to ride my bike and I do a lot. I rode my bike across the United States. Yeah, you did ride your bike. Yes. We'll come back to that okay. one later. But He's all, a health specimen. All this thing, guy is I'm telling you, a I would, specimen. <laughs> I would come up to people, ride my bike, I'd start asking them questions about who they are. And they would. somebody would say, somehow we'd get in the conversation about faith, and always they would sheepishly say, well, I, I'm, I'm Jewish. Mm. Like they were afraid to say it. And I would always say, what? You're Jewish? Can I just say thank you? It... Thank you. Your people kept alive the belief in the one true God and protected his word. Mm. And it's fascinating how they just want to engage after that. That's amazing. And that's a big part of the church's culture, your church's culture, which is Northwest Bible Church here in Dallas, Texas, which is all about having conversations about Jesus. That's yes. really important. That's a part of the DNA of Northwest. Mm hmm. Um, but Neil, talk to us about why you thought it was important. Like Steve was joking around, no one invited us. Actually, I, after we told our crowd, we, we talked about it last week, 
Steve was like, if there's anybody out there that wants us to come, we'll, we'll show up. But maybe I, that phone hasn't uh, <laughs> rung once. 424-444-1948. But Neil, maybe share why you thought it was important for your congregation, who I love and adore, to hear about the imp- what's going on in, in the Middle East, especially in Israel from a yes. biblical perspective. So um, Chris, you and I have talked about this um, opportunity in the past about me coming to speak, coming on your uh, podcast. And I think really part of it is it's about the whole story of the whole Bible. Mm. And so many things are happening in our culture today. You guys have talked a lot about them where people are taking their Bible and sometimes they're pulling one verse out and literally changing 2000 years of Christian history, changing thousands of years of what God would call truth, morality, justice. And and I see it happening on this issue. Mm. And a lot of people have been asking me questions about what's going on, what do you think? And so I thought this was just a good opportunity for you guys who are experts, that's what I've told people, <laughs> for the experts to come in and again say, hey, let's talk about the whole story of the Bible. Yeah. Because we're talking about God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really important. And you, Steve is an expert. He has a PhD from a Filipino <laughs> church in South Jersey. So yes, I heard about that. <laughs> no, but uh, Steve, uh, uh, Neil, I think you're exactly right because you know it's not just. I think a lot of people can look at Israel and the Jewish people from the scriptures and say, "Oh, you're just pulling out those pieces." And it's not a piece. It's yes. actually the whole story of the Bible. And we. Uh, Steve's, of course, this is the Gentile, Gentile Jew podcast today, but this is this is the story of the Jewish people, God's story of redemption and how they God used the Jewish people to bless the world. We, Like you said, we've been blessed by the Jewish yes. people, and so that is one of the reasons, that, that's what called me into Jewish ministry yes. and made me want to go to the Friends of Israel. When that clicked in my mind, the story's not about me. Mm-hmm. The story's about how God used his chosen people as he promised uh, to bring blessing to the whole world. You know, Pastor Neil, uh, I was talking, I had a opportunity to talk to a Jewish believer in Kentucky who's going through a rough time now uh, because he tells me he can't find a church that will s- preach the whole counsel of God, which is exactly, you said you read the whole Bible and that the Jewish people uh, are front and center concerning the Bible. And uh, he went up to the, his pastor. He was attending a church with his family, and had had he told me I had it, and I went up to him and I said, "All you know is the Bible from Matthew to Jude. You wow. won't, you won't, you won't talk about Revelation, and you've never opened the Bible in the Old Testament." And he he said, "There's such a discouragement to him." Tell us a little bit about what your philosophy yeah. has been here at Northwest. So, Steve, one of the things that I've tried to do, I've actually been at this church 27 years. 22 years senior pastor. And I've just said every year I'm trying to spend time in the Old Testament, spend time in the New Testament, and that over time we're getting through pretty much the whole Bible. Mm. So here's what's something fascinating. Last fall we started Genesis. The weekend the war broke out at Sunday was Genesis 12. Yeah, October 7th. Isn't that crazy? That is amazing. Yeah. What was your... What I mean, you had the key passage and the moment that was going on in Israel. How did you bridge the two? Yeah. That'll preach just by itself. Right. So the very first thing we did, even when I got up to preach, uh, I said, hey, y'all, you've heard this passage already read today, because one of the things we try to do here is the public reading of the scripture mm-hmm. and try to not just hear me preach one verse at a time, but read a, a section of scripture I said, you've already heard this read. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And somebody like, whoa, what do, what do we do with that in light of what happened this weekend? And the very first bridge we made, we said, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray according to the encouragement of the Psalms. We're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I actually called you, Chris, if you remember that, and we mm-hmm. just talked about some things to just to say to help people. And we immediately built the bridge just saying, hey, there's a war going on. Let's pray Yeah, for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, and that's, uh, you know, something I know that's important uh, for, for Christians to see that their pastor is not looking to the, to, to, to the newspaper to find out where to get this information. 
that he's looking to the scriptures to find out what's going on. How are we looking at this through a biblical worldview? Mm-hmm. And something that I've always stuck with me, Neil, even I've been gone for almost 10 years now uh, after I moved from Dallas to New Jersey, but words that you said that stuck with me is, it's God's word over my opinion. And I think that's really, for a Christian, when it comes to the I- issue of Israel and the Jewish people, there's plenty of opinions. I mean, Steve, there's opinions all over the place. Well, amongst our people, you got two of us together, you get three opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Christians are in competition to that. Uh, especially, Amen. especially when it comes to Israel as well, and how you understand it. And you know, instead of saying my opinion over God's word, we have to be honest with the text. You know, I, I'm always reminded of the, uh, did you ever hear of Palestinian liberation theology? Yes. They admit in their books, we've got to change the way we read the Bible so it fits our people group. That's not what God's word is intended to, we're not supposed to change God's word. It is set, it is final, it is God's authoritative word, and it speaks truth. So God's word over my own opinion is really important. So, Steve, w- let's think about uh, um, what we're, we're, we're going to do for the next few uh, t- uh, moments that we're together here. We've got, coming up, we've got Daniel chapter 10, and Neil's going to join in. In fact, Neil has written out, you can't see it all if you're watching on YouTube or wherever, uh, Neil's got a fantastic layout of Daniel. He's going to speak some truth into Daniel, catch us up with Daniel chapter 10. Chris, we're- we motivated Pastor Neil. He <laughs> Prepare. He did more preparation for a podcast than we have ever done, and this is his first one. Uh, he's uh, he's doing amazing, and I, I'll tell you, Neil is not somebody who needs any. I mean, you are motivated beyond belief because number one, you were just talking about the fact that you went up to six hundred miles north of Winnipeg, which is called. Jokingly, Winterpeg. Winterpeg. So he's 600 miles north of Winterpeg, Canada, and you ran 26 miles in the freezing cold yes. in November. Looking for polar bears. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Talk about that. You said, though, you went there to have conversations about Jesus. Yes. Talk about that really quick. Okay, real real quick. Um, so it really got started because I rode my bike across the country in 2019. Yeah. I had this dream 18 years prior I used to say to Vila, hey, Vila, I have an idea. Vila's my wife. I'm going to ride my bike across the country. You can follow me in my our car. And she's like, you're weird. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that doesn't sound like any fun. It just to go out and have conversations about Jesus. Finally, when our church launched this vision about having conversations about Jesus, I said, I got to put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. And um, in 2019, in 33 days, 30 days of riding, rode across the country just being curious, kind, and respectful, having conversations with people about their faith, about Jesus. And uh, uh, and you, a, you did it in 30 days? Thir- basically 30 days of riding, about 100 miles a day. That is mind-blowing. Hey, are, hey, you still, hey. <laughs> are you still sore from 2019? You know, uh, part for me, like, I, I think... I can't really believe I did that. Yeah, that is... You left San Diego, because I followed you yes. on that journey. Santa uh, Monica, California. To Annapolis, Maryland. That's right. Yes. And I remember watching, because some videos would pop up here and there, maybe yes. Vila, your wife, was posting them on social media, and it'd be a picture of you, like, like you leave, you're leaving California and you're hitting mountains right away. Yeah. It's not like you have some flat area like Ohio to go through. You're starting off flat and then boom, you're hitting, what was it, the San Bernardino Mountains yes, right away. Right. And so, uh, what was that like? The moment you get there and now you're hitting a mountain. How do you prepare uh, for that when you are when you live in Dallas, Texas? Well, you know, Vila said to me, she goes, Neil, have you ever ridden 100 miles more than one day in a row? <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, it was really kind of amazing, and we had people with us, and really the hard part was starting, stopping to have conversations, starting, stopping. I really couldn't have planned to a harder endurance event. So I really, let's talk about the conversations. Cause yes. I remember, I think I flew out here to do something at Northwest a couple of years ago. We went out for lunch and it was right after you had finished. I said, what you, you got a taste of where American Christianity is right now, or even a, the American spirituality. Where is it? What's you, you kind of got your pulse on that because uh, you interact with so many people along the way. And I remember I said, what was that like? And you looked at your salsa in your salsa bowl, and you said, wow. it's like that right there. Wow. Yeah. I don't even remember telling you that, but that's it. Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to this idea of God's truth over our opinion. 
And it was so interesting. People had gone to church. They would say, well, I, I went to church, and I, I like this, and I don't like this, and I have some stuff I've added. And it is kind of like a soup. Everybody's got this own religious soup that they've made. And it's really, our culture has said, the locus of truth is in you mm. instead of something outside of you. Mm. And that's part of it, even coming out of that, my conviction of we've got to help people think about the whole Bible got just stronger actually from that. Do you feel like what came from this was your reality that most people are, like they don't have an understanding of what the, even the scriptures even say? They know big names like Jesus. They understand maybe what he had done, but they've never dived into God's word at all. Is that is that there, or is it just they're picking out what they want from the scriptures? You know, I talked from pe to people from Chris, almost every different faith, every different experience. But I'll talk to you. The, the people who had been to church, lots of exposure to the Bible. However, just not a willingness to say, hey, what does this book mean in light of the, the whole story of the book? You know, right now I'm, listen, I'm listening again to the book Boys in the Boat, if you guys are familiar. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a story of a Washington rowing team, and it's got great history because it's all about the 1930s and 40s and World War II, Nazi Germany, and they just had a movie came out about it. But you, so at one point, you know, there's this guy who he ends up winning Olympic gold medal. I told you the end of the movie. <laughs> but at one point, he gets moved out of the number one boat that's going to go to the Olympics. Oh, really? And if you just stop there, you're, you be, you'd be like, oh, bad story. Yeah. And you wouldn't understand at all the whole story. And I think people have just have not thought about what is the whole story saying. I'm sorry, I'm kind of harping on this. No, it's good. Please. Um, this so, is actually, this is the DNA of Friends of Israel, yeah. is telling the, the entire story of the Bible that pro prophecy does matter. Yeah. God's prophetic word is incredibly important because it gives you the hope for the end of the story, which is really just the beginning of eternity with the Lord. So it's important to tell that part. We have to be looking back at what Christ did on the cross, but we have to be looking forward ahead to his coming. I mean, that's what should be motivating us, driving us to live lives of holiness and blamelessness uh, before the people before us and serving the Lord, knowing at any moment he could return. There's this hope that yeah. we have that drives us forward. Pastor Neil, give me one story. Okay. Uh, uh, I remember when Chris was telling me about your journey, but I'm into people and stories, but uh, for our seven listeners, as you're the eighth, tell, <laughs> us, tell us one outstanding story that you know you'll never forget. That wow. you, whether, whether the person came to Christ, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever just impacted you. Man, Steve, there are actually are so many, but I'll, I'll tell the day we went through the Mojave Desert, we went to, came to a little convenience store, and there was a lady behind the counter, and she came out, and we start sitting down right at the front edge of the counter, and she said her grandfather was a preacher, but the whole time we're talking, she didn't seem very connected. She didn't seem like she was actually all there. And um, finally, I didn't know what else to say, but knowing her grandfather had been a preacher because she was just all over the map about what the Bible has to say, this kind of soup thing. I said, so how about you and Jesus? Hmm. Great question. What's up with y'all? And she said, do you want the truth? I said, yeah, I want the truth. She said, I'm mad at him. And she proceeded to tell me the story how she had a son who had a late night shift and got hit by a truck in his car and died. Now, Steve, one thing's fascinating. I talked to at least four different people who had sons die in car accidents. Mm -hmm. And we talked, and I was actually walking away from the conversation. And then I came back and I said, hey, can I just say one thing for, with, to you? I said, do you remember the story of Lazarus? She goes, oh, yeah, I remember that story. I said, I want to tell you something about this story that a lot of people don't often think about. Twice... It says that Jesus actually got angry when he came to the scene. She goes, what? I said, most Bibles say something like deeply moved. But the Greek word there actually carries the idea about getting angry. And I said to her, I said, hey, listen, sister, I want you to know this. Jesus got angry when his friends died. 
Her countenance totally changed. Her eyes got about this big. And you could see in that moment, she was seeing something other than a plastic Jesus riding on the dashboard of the car, if you know that song. I, yep. and, and somehow Jesus was just not real to her. And all of a sudden, there was this sense of, oh, wow, maybe Jesus is somebody I can relate to. That's a great story. That is great a really good well, well, I want to know why is it a part I, I when you say that you know part of the culture of Northwest is to have conversations about Jesus, which I would say Steve is the culture of friends of Israel. Uh you know, we always tell people it's not we don't proselytize. That's not our job. That it's not our job to change people. That's God's mm-hmm. job. It's our job to just simply share tr- the truth <laughs> of God's word. And then it's up to God to move in someone's life or not. Uh how how would you define the con- like where did the topic the idea of conversations come yeah. from because i think that actually creates the opportunities that you're talking about where it's not about just you know we're not trying to get notches on our belt yes. and things like this we're trying to have honest conversations about our faith and if they like if they believe praise the lord if they don't well we're not going to stop being friends with them well i want you to answer how but i also want you to tell us because People always want to know, how do you start? How did you? You're on a bike. You're with your wife. There, I'm assuming there's an automobile, a van. Oh, maybe, there's a whole crew. Uh, so there's a crew. So how did you start any conversation? Uh, I'd be interested. But also Chris's question is a good one, too. How, the culture of conversation. Yes. So one of the things about, I'll, I'll go start here and get to there. So one of the things about Northwest that you have to understand, before I ever got here, when they first were planting this church, they um, had a missions program. Before they could pay a pastor full-time, they would do a thing called Faith Promise, where they would raise money to have people go tell people all around the world about Jesus. Mm. Now, when one year, I don't know if it's five, six years ago, we took a survey, not to see if people liked the preaching or the music, because we knew they liked the preaching. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, you could laugh. Uh, but to really find out where are we missing it. And you know what we, we found out? We had most of the people in our body at that time had been believers 10 years or more, and we weren't going out having conversations about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, this idea of conversations about Jesus, just getting it started, I really feel like for me, started when I first came to know Jesus through a guy who was involved with crew who started just talking to me about Jesus, which was campus crusade at the time crusade at the time. And my wife and I were on staff for seven years. We loved doing that. And, um, I remember one of the very first things I heard in campus crusade in crew was this successful witnessing is taking the initiative in the power of the Holy spirit and leaving the results to God. Hmm. And so I never was, I never felt like I got, I have to do it. I have to get somebody to a finish line because they taught me right away, this is what you do. And so we realized, man, we're not seeing people come to know Jesus because we're not even starting. And so that's when we said, hey, let's use this idea of having conversations. And the thing about conversations is it's a two-way deal, right? And Steve, this gets to your deal. How do I get into it? You know, Steve, I'll be, I, I've literally been, uh, there's a lake by my house called White Rock Lake, White Rock Lake that I ride my bike around. I, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've gotten into where a total stranger is weeping while we're riding bikes. And the way we start conversations is by getting to know another person, mm-hmm. being curious. And this came out of my bike ride, being curious, kind, and respectful. And so... You know, when this age agent said, I want, I want you to do a book. I'm behind it, and I'll help you get this book. A guy didn't even know in New York, he said, uh, you know, under one condition, this book becomes what you learned. And so the name of the book that I wrote coming out of this was The Listening Road. Mm. Great so title. The start, the, how to have the conversation was actually by listening, by asking questions. You know, Neil, I tell this to people, and I think it's fascinating. I might have even said it before on the podcast, but I, I think it's so fascinating that when Aaron is anointed the high priest, it's his ear that's anointed, his hand, and his foot. It's not his mouth. 
Wow. It's his ear. His ear is anointed. His, 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 uh, I believe his right earlobe is anointed. But I always think it's funny. You know, I, it almost seems like God is saying, you're going to listen and you're going to help and you're going to go. You know, you're going to use your ear to listen to minister to people, your hand to help people, and your feet to go and minister to them. And there's nothing about the mouth. There's no anointing of the mouth, which is, I think, the hardest part, especially for people. You're a pastor. Especially I, for you and me, Chris. Yeah, we talk all the time. <laughs> we love talking. Yes. But it, the 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 real heart of ministry, and I believe for the for the gospel to go forth actually begins with your ears. It doesn't start with your mouth. Chris, I was, um, I was at White Rock Lake riding bikes in a group a couple years ago, and there's, the group had 30 people, two by two, 20 miles an hour, and you're really close, at least 20. And I'm talking to this guy next to me. Somehow I find out he's Jewish. Mm. And um, he, he, when he told me he was a little sheepish, and I said to him, this is like, Two years ago, I said, hey, he told me he had three daughters because I was asking questions. I have three daughters. I said, hey, how is it being Jewish? And how is it for you guys, you know, your three daughters? And man, he began to open up about, at that time, the anti-Semitism, wow. the stress on his family. And we had this great connect, right? Just from getting to know him. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, that is the heart of ministry is the conversation. And that's, you know, I, I th it actually takes the pressure off of you because it's mm. it's God's job to do the work. It's our job to share about it. And that's the heart of Friends of Israel. That's the heart of Northwest. And that's why it's great for us to all be together. But I think it's time for us to get to Daniel. He had a lot of conversations. Yeah, <laughs> he, <laughs> he did. had a ton he of conversations. He started as a teenager. He said, can we make a deal here? I will Remember? Yes. Uh, he talks to the guys who are overseeing him. Could it hurt? <laughs> no. <laughs> Daniel's a man of conversation. Well, what was our Yiddish word last week, Steve? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, 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 oh, boy. What was it? Uh, uh <laughs> I pregnant pause. No, no, I got a long pregnant pause. It's uh, it, well, it was about him being stressed. Uh, ker, ker, no, no, uh, um, uh, verklempt. Verklempt. Ay, that ay, was, ay. It was. It's verklempt. <laughs> there we go. Ay. Brain freeze. That big, big brain freeze. Ay. So uh, he was verklempt, which means he was stressed, mm -hmm. and he was stressed because he was in the present. Well, Steve has a view in the presence of both and a messenger. And Christ, uh, and w either one is a good reason to be both. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's right. Bullets, mm -hmm. um, and so he was verklempt. Um, but Neil, you put together this fantastic chart. I want you. You kind of had a vision for our conversation, which I he loved. was thinking of our listeners. I'm serious. Yes, and he said, yes. "You know, guys, you you've been taking a long time going through <laughs> this book of Daniel. People don't even remember what happened." And he said. I do, and so go ahead, Chris. No. I, I was impressed by it. He's thinking of the listeners. I'm ready Us? to turn our mics down and just let Neil have the show here. But, Neil, uh, explain what your – I know our listeners and our viewers on YouTube can't see this, but explain mm -hmm. your thoughts because I think this yeah. is going to lead to great conversation. Well, this is interesting that you went back to the uh, Yiddish word uh, last week, and I was having trouble remembering it till you said it. But Daniel stressed before – he sees the vision, right? As I read Daniel um, chapter 10, the first few verses, here's a guy who's totally stressed out about what's going on, and he's got very little energy at that point, and then he sees this vision, and he's done, right? And you'd think by this point with Daniel, you'd think ah, nothing would stress him out. I mean, right. the guy's been in a, a lion's den. He's been, uh, you know, in the face of Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Death has knocked on his door a bunch of times, and God has delivered, and yet... Again, it just shows human frailty that now we're stressed again, you know? And here's God giving hope and encouragement to Daniel. And I was just thinking about ha having gone through Daniel the last, I don't know, how many, 85 weeks you guys been doing it or whatever. <laughs> There's only 122 and, and, episodes. And so. Kind of wanting to remind the, the listeners, hey, about the whole book of Daniel. How did we get to chapter 10 and what's going on? Hmm. So I'll just do it real please, quick. No, please, no, take your do. time. So, you know, in Daniel 1, we get introduced to Daniel and his friends, and they have a hard choice to make. Like, people are having hard choices to make today about walking with the Lord. Mm -hmm. They are faithful. God delivers. 
And then in two chapters two through seven, you know the language switches, right, from Hebrew to Aramaic. So we got this Aramaic section where there are some dreams and some tests, right, where Daniel gets tested because there's a statue um, or Daniel's um, friends get tested. Will they bow down to a statue? Daniel gets tested in chapter 6. Is he going to keep praying? They are faithful, but these dreams in chapter 2, in chapter 4, in chapter 5, there's dreams of these statues. And I like what you did there. He's got little clouds. He's got the clouds in the dream. I like the clouds going. I'm going to take a picture of this before we leave so we can post it for our uh, audience to look at so they can see what we're seeing. Because one of the things that is happening in Daniel is God is showing how the kings of the world want to exalt themselves about God, mm. over God. And when you get to four and five, you got Nebi, as Chris likes to say. Nebi. <laughs> and Belshazzar, his son, and and Nebi is prideful. Belshazzar is prideful. Nebi, in his pride, what happens? He becomes like a beast. Mm-hmm. And, and his son does too. Now, his son dies. We know Nebi repents and God gives him some grace. But when I was thinking about this, back to the whole story of the Bible, mm-hmm. what happens in Genesis? People, when they don't choose God's what God calls good, they become like animals. And Cain, like this crouching lion, sin gets him and he devours his brother. And we could take multiple examples, but just this pattern that's going on of the kings of men want to exalt themselves above God, and it creates stress for God's people. And are we going to be faithful? And then all of a sudden, you get to Daniel 7, where Daniel begins to have these dreams, and we talked a lot about numbers last week, and 8, 9, <laughs> 10, and 11. We did our math. All to encourage Daniel. And I think for us, it's the same encouragement that we get the story. God says, listen, yeah. They're the kings of men, that they are going to become beastly in their desire to exalt themselves. You remain faithful, and you know the rest of the story. And literally, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 are given the big story of history that ultimately God's king is going to come and defeat all those other kings. Mm. And we know him as our Messiah, Jesus. And I like this idea that you're saying that man becomes beastly when they try to exalt themselves above God. And if you want to talk about a culture that we live in today of man exalting themselves above God, we're living in it right now. I think more than than ever before. Uh, you know, people always talk about longing for the good old days and things like that. I just think the world that we live in today is so self-focused, so me-oriented, especially I think since the rise of social media and technology, all of these things have actually driven us inward toward ourselves um, and pushing God away. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting to see how culture's moving now, like you said, in a, almost like a beastly way. Yeah. And and so I think just to summarize, you know, it's hard to understand Daniel 8 through 12. It, it's, you know, there's, as you guys talked last week, there's lots of opinions, but what is clear is God is going to come, his king is going to come reign and his enemies are going to be defeated, and his faithful followers are going to be rewarded. Mm, Neil, why don't you, uh, we we always, as you know, read the text. Chris often does it. I've done it a few times, but I'd like a pastor. Okay. Like, that's what you do in your church. So why don't you start in verse 10 and finish the chapter for us in chapter 10. Got it. So uh, Daniel's writing here, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persian Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. 
When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the visions, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Mm. Excellent. Michael, let's first talk about Michael. Michael, the archangel. We're getting some archangel action in um, in the book of Daniel. Um, Michael actually has a special task, Steve. Um, he is actually the protector over Israel. That's a task that he's given um, he's the one who watches over Israel. Michael. Such service. <laughs> All day long. Ay, ay, ay. He's saying, how did I get this job? Uh, but he has a task. And so Michael appears on the scene as an important figure. Um, as we're learning about archangels here, archangels appear. Uh, there are other ones that we know that appear in the New Testament as well, like Gabriel, uh, Gabriel, uh, who appears in the birth narratives of Jesus. So archangels play an important role of uh, executing God's will uh, to make sure that uh, God's purposes are being accomplished. And and we know Mike, one of Michael's jobs was to protect Israel. Um, but this is interesting because. Again, one like a uh, like a human is coming mm-hmm. and talking to Daniel. And Daniel, this is such a unique op. You think about in the Old Testament, this might be a great conversation for the difference between a saint of the Old Testament and a saint in the New Testament. There is a break that does happen with the coming of Jesus and the and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on us. But here, Daniel gets a unique opportunity that m- most Jewish people never had. He sees a pre-incarnate Christ who speaks to him and encourages him in the midst of his suffering. Hey, he needs strength in doing that too, right? His strength's gone from him. Uh, I, it, whenever you stand by a person who is holy, uh, or you're in a a holy place, it it mm. makes you go inward. I'm t- even holy places, uh, they become. You become reverent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I lived uh, 18 years in Chicago, and uh, when I first got there, people took me around, and, you know, the mob was big in Chicago. <laughs> and during the 20s, there were people, when I got there in the 70s, there were people around who said, whenever the mob was around a church, that it, it was an unwritten law. You didn't do anything bad in front of a church. Mm. Again, I don't believe buildings are any more significant uh, than other buildings. However, they did. It represented God. And even those who were uh, in the mafia had this idea that that there is a God Mm. and we better not do anything. Yeah, now the mob's in the government in Illinois, right? (laughs) (laughs) You can say that. (laughs) Well, you know... um, this is important too because when I was uh, one of the Neil, I'm not like you. I don't I don't run 26 miles, 600 miles above Winnipeg, or we don't we don't run 26 feet, Chris. Well, I do run in the morning, but I only do one mile, and I'll I'll go to the gym and I'll work out a little bit, and then I immediately hit the sauna. And um, I, I like that's when I read the scriptures in the sauna. I'm sweating. I'll go in there for 20 minutes. You're sweating. That's a schwit. I love it. Um, but I op- open the scriptures and I start reading it during that time. I, you know, like, like, uh, I'd like to see that Bible. Yeah, it's my it phone. Uh, no, it's my phone. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I was reading through Isaiah six the other day and I was thinking in the same moment is that, um, Isaiah, uh, is brought in to the press. He sees the Lord and kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Mm. holy, holy, holy. And, uh, the only thing he can do is just fall flat on his face 
and admit he just confesses his sins. I mean, you don't even, he didn't have to be told you should confess your sins. It just happens naturally. God's holiness interacting with him. He just says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God says, don't worry, I'll take care of that stick. You know, puts a coal on his tongue. Um, But it's, it's amazing the, how you automatically fall before God the moment you interact with his holiness. And uh, this is something that we're seeing with Daniel. He fell. And this wasn't even the heavens. This was, uh, you know, the we were saying last week how he was limited in some way here. He appeared as a man. And yet even then Daniel is falling down before we're, him. We're told in verse 16 in the New King James Version, uh, sorrows have overwhelmed. He was mm. overwhelmed. That's a great word. And all of it actually wraps around this idea of what's going to happen to his people and what's going on in the world. And I think that's a question we can ask ourselves. What is going on, you know, with God's people and with Israel and the church? What's going on with God's people and what's going on in the world? Because it does stress people out. You know, we look back on what was going on. Why is Daniel so stressed? I mean, it's going to go from Babylon to Persia, Persia to Greece, Greece to Rome. Those were monumental empire shifts that involved war and occupation and 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 uh, removing families and splitting them apart. There were probably so many broken hearts as a result of these movements of kingdom shifts that were going on. We can look back on history and go, oh, what's he all stressed out about? This was he was terrified because he was didn't know how this was all going to happen. He's being told the world that you know is going to change multiple times and your people will be at the center of it. If you don't know about that, then you can stress out. And I get stressed out when I see what you think about your kids. What world will my uh, kids live in? What kind of stresses will they deal with? So, of course, he's stressing out. He's watching. He's asking a question. My people and the world that they're living in. And uh, like like Neil was saying, um, the, the kings exalting themselves above God, they become beastly, and it's our people in the middle of it all. So that's really an, an intense thought to to think about. Um, and that's something that definitely was stressing Daniel out. And, you know, can I say something here, Chris? Please. You know, one of the things that I think is actually good for us today to remember that this whole idea of evil and what's happening in our world, the Bible actually, the whole story of the Bible, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually helps us in a way that some of even our kind of modern scholarship and our own thinking doesn't help us. Because we here's what we say, we with whatever side people are, even on the war with Israel, well, if this person would just not do this, and this person would not do this, but you know what? Here we read, oh, there's a complex system going on here. Mm-hmm. And we actually know it from our whole Bible that there we face enemies called the world, the flesh, and the devil. The, the flesh, kings want to rise up, exalt against God. The, the world, world systems, Daniel's talking about all these world systems, all those, you know, dreams of statues, all the world systems that are working against God's people. And then you have actually a spiritual battle going on, which is referenced here when he says, I couldn't get there because I was being prevented by another great spiritual force. And so, man, God's people, we start reading our Bible, we realize, oh, wow, when the Bible commands us, when we're encouraged in Psalms even to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, oh, we're saying we need God to do something, Mm -hmm. and we ultimately need Jesus the Messiah to do something. It's why at our church here we actually use this term, desperate dependence on Jesus. Mm. You know, too, you're making me think about this whole concept of, you know, the the, the idea of Jesus is going to bring a kingdom that's going to be different from the kingdoms of the world. Mm. And you know what's funny is that, in my mind, I know what God's kingdom will look like because I've read about it in the scripture. He explains what the kingdom is. And it's amazing how different Jesus's kingship is from the rest of the kings of the world, even presidents or prime ministers. You know, we I, I hear a lot of people say, they've said to me before, I'll speak at a church about the kingdom and they'll go, you know, that's actually taking us backwards. If If Jesus becomes king, this is in a church. You know, we're enlightened people. We have presidents now and prime ministers. We we elect them. Um, and uh, that's going back to primitive ways. Why would we why would Jesus want to do that? And I think, you know, you're you're right in some way. If you think about kingship, yeah, if you don't have a benevolent kind king, you're not gonna like him. But if you actually study the gospels and see what kind of king Jesus is, 
it is a completely, it's a dynamic shift in understanding mm. leadership, servant leadership. The very fact that the king of Israel, the king of kings would bow down and wash the feet of his disciples who have no idea what's going on or even shed his own blood on the cross for us means that he actually thinks more about us than he thinks about himself. That is a driving concept of the kingdom, not just in Jesus's way that he's living out what the kingdom will be, but also what was promised in the Old Testament. The kingdom in the Old Testament was never about you. It was about you loving God and loving others above yourself. And so, again, Jesus is only living out the way that the kingdom should be lived. That's a king I would follow uh, to the bitter end. But again, if you're just thinking about some you know, English king from 400 years ago who could care less about his people. Yeah, I could see that being primitive and old, but that's not the kind of king Jesus is. So. Amen. Well, I think we should go to the news. I think we should go to the news. Steve, you've got some interesting, you were on fire with the news the past couple days, and I appreciate that because I needed that. Yeah. Um, uh, so first, why don't you, you want to start with Alana, Alanis Morissette, well, which I never of all, thought. The pa- <laughs> Pastor Neil knows who she is. My wife knew who she is. You knew who she is. I never heard of her. You never heard of her? I. She sang the song, Isn't It Ironic? Don't I, you think? I, I don't know the song. But my wife and I were watching PBS together, uh, Finding Your Roots. And she was one of the people. And uh, she, right now she's a Buddhist. I think she was raised in a Catholic home. But what she found out in her 20s so not very long ago, 15, 20 years, she says this, I think I found out that I was Jewish in my late 20s. I didn't know. I didn't know, she said. And she tells the host at Harvard uh, University history professor, Henry Louis Gates, who, that's the show we watched, uh, in the episode, a snippet of which was shared exclusively with the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. Uh, how do you pronounce her last name? Morissette. Morissette, 49, raised Catholic, is now a practicing Buddhist, but her mother, Georgia Marianne Fuerstein, was born in Hungary to two Holocaust survivor parents. Mm. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And she just found out. Isn't it ironic that she just found out? Yeah. That's her song. (laughs) Isn't it ironic, don't you think? I guess so. (laughs) Anyway, she was fascinating to listen to, and it's interesting to me, I've watched that show many times, and you will be surprised mm-hmm. how many and it, Asian, African Americans have Jewish DNA in them. But do it, they have Jewish DNA like you have Jewish DNA? Uh, I, ninety. Uh, what are you? Ninety nine percent. It depends. One day I'm ninety nine. The next day I'm a hundred. I get emails. They keep doing DNA. I, <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say I'm Jewish. <laughs> Did you ever do a DNA test? No, I did not. I have not done one yet either. Now, my sister did one, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, there, I, I could end up on this show and I could find out I have some family that I didn't know about or something like that, you know? But uh, I, I know my sister did it and she has some sub-Saharan African in her. So, <laughs> yeah, who knows what that means? But, Chris, I want to do the—I mean, that was fascinating, but I sent you one. I don't know if you want to cover it. I, I can't sent, because my phone okay. is recording, so well, you do it. I could hand you my phone if you want to— Sure, I'll do that. Okay, hold on. Let me just— uh, See, now you got to bring okay, it up. Yeah. Uh, no, here it is. All right. I'll pass it to you. Thank you. All right. Oh, yes. Um, this is really significant— I found this this morning, Pastor Neil, a Jewish private school playing basketball, but they played basketball against all the community. They're in Yonkers, New York, and the anti-Semitic slurs, the hate speech that went on, uh, according to their coach, unprecedented, uh, and uh, they decided they just were going to leave. So, Chris, why don't you give the exact quotes? I yeah, just gave it a says, little something. New York girls high school basketball game canceled after anti-Semitic slurs hurled at players. This was a fragrant, this was fragrant, fragrant and foul. The high school girls basketball game in Yonkers was canceled this week when players on the home team shot anti-Semitic slurs at their Jewish opponents who needed security guards to escort them off to safety. The girls' varsity team from the Leffel School, a private Jewish school in Hartsdale, and Roosevelt High School, a public school in Yonkers, faced off in the non-league game Thursday evening. I support Hamas, you 
effing Jew, a Roosevelt player snarled at Leffel opponent. According to the New York City Public Schools Alliance, a group of parents and teachers fighting anti-Semitism. So, I mean, they were screaming things supporting Hamas, uh, anti-Semitic rants. They felt threatened. They had guards taking them off the court. This is going on in America. This is Yonkers. Mm -hmm. I've been to Yonkers several times. Uh, You're talking about uh, in the New York City area, Yonkers is outside of New York City, 10% of the people who live there are Jewish. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're part of the fabric. Uh, This is really unprecedented. Well, and you know, uh, we live in a very Jewish area too in South Jersey in Cherry Hill, and there were students that were right after um, the October 7th attack there were students who didn't feel safe, Jewish students who didn't feel safe going to those schools because the principal wouldn't actually speak out against what was going on, which, again, only helps breed uh, that form of uh, anti-Semitism, um, bigotry. Uh, it's the same kind of thing that happens when you get MIT, Harvard, and um, UPenn together, and these presidents couldn't just say, yes, calling for the genocide of the Jewish people is uh, uh, breaks our codes of conduct. Um, uh, so they couldn't say it. They said only if, depending on the context. What context do you need? We're giving it to you. They're calling out the genocide of the Jewish people. So again, we've seen because of this, the rise of anti-Semitism um, all around the world, Steve. There's anti-Semitism all around the world. And, and we're talking 100% more, 300% more, 500% more all around the world. And it's coming to a place where now there are actually Jewish people in the United States who are taking their mezuzahs off the front of their door because they don't want to be identified because they're nervous, very nervous. And that's... That's a first, at least in my lifetime, to mm. to think that. You know, it's it's even more interesting to see after Russia attacked Ukraine, I feel like everybody started getting Ukrainian flags, which is awesome. You know, do that. That's amazing. It's amazing. Israel got attacked. And if I see an Israeli flag, I go, even today we were driving here in Texas uh, from the airport and there's... Over there near the airport, there's a big flag shop, actually, and they have these huge flags, Neil. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I've seen it. And they have a huge, I mean, this thing, it's huge, uh, Israeli flag flying outside. There's a house near uh, uh, near where I live that has an Israeli flag out. We, you know, so there's encouraging things, but we have Israeli friends that live near us, uh, Steve, who were weary of putting an Israeli flag out because they didn't want to. They didn't want to test their neighbors. Let's just put it that way. And in fact, they started amongst their Israeli friends, they've started a neighborhood watch and have discovered uh, amongst the Israelis that live in this town, uh, never in their life did they ever want to bear a firearm. Never. But the increase in buying uh, guns has increased amongst them. In fact, this friend of ours bought one. And he said, Steve, I... I never thought I would need to buy a gun. Mm. Neil, um, I don't want to put you on a spot. I don't know if you know the answer, but has there been talks of a rise of anti-Semitism in Dallas at all? Has that been a topic of conversation? You know, Chris, um, there's been some protests that have happened here. There's a very fancy mall just one mile to the east here called North Park Mall. You're familiar. 100%. And I heard there was a um, kind of a Palestinian uh thing going on there, a little protest where everybody laid down on the floor. And I know we just up our street here on our street, there's a Jewish synagogue Mm -hmm. and they, I've heard some rumblings about nervousness, um, hiring security guards, those kinds of things. Yeah. I used, I used to go to that synagogue. I used to do a Talmud study there and I used to love it. That was a great, uh, great way to connect with the Jewish community here. But, um, yeah, I know that there are concerns. I remember even when I lived here, one of the ways I got connected was uh, early on in my ministry here with Friends of Israel when I was in Dallas, is somebody sprayed a swastika on Natalie's kitchen, which was an Israeli kitchen that made an excellent falafel, by the way. And um, I went up there to sh- just say, hey, I'm here to, su- you made Dallas news. Mm. I said, I'm just here to support you. Um, I heard about what happened. I'm here to get a falafel. And if you need anything, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm a Christian. Um, and they were very appreciative, but it connected me to Natalie's and I started bringing friends there so they could meet uh, the owners of the restaurant. But uh, yeah, it, even here in the South, in the conservative areas where you probably have more support for Israel than where we are in New Jersey or um, in the Northeast, uh, there's still 
anti-Semitism that's uh, creeping up all around. So, And Chris, even just some things I saw yesterday, just even on social media, the longer the war goes and the more people here, here's the counts of mm. people who are being hurt by this war. Um, I, I've seen some things basically challenging what Israel's doing. And I think the longer this war goes and the longer the the message goes out from our, all our media, it, it's not good for Israel in terms of people's thinking is being shaped. Yeah. Well, you know, I just read the Times of Israel article this morning, and the uh, IDF was confronted with children bearing arms in a school, and there was a firefight. So the question is, I, I, I don't, how do you answer, how do you respond? How do you respond if if you have eight and ten year olds shooting a machine gun at you? The bullet doesn't know how old yep. the trigger person is. What do you do? And if you shoot them and kill them, and somebody, especially with social media, you're killing children. the The question becomes, well, who's my enemy? Mm-hmm. Israel doesn't function that way. The United States doesn't. Most of the free world doesn't function that way, but yet that's perfectly acceptable. The the rockets were stored in the school, and the young people in it were firing. Man, mm. You know, uh, this always, I, I, the way you said it was really clear, Neil, that the longer the war goes on, the more weary people become of what's going on. And it's so fascinating because they don't ever ask the question to the Israelis you know, I, I, I can say this confidently. I'd say the vast majority of Israelis don't even want to they don't want to be in this war. This isn't this isn't something they want to they want to do. Um, they don't want to see send their sons and daughters into Gaza. And I know they don't want to hurt Palestinian children or any innocent Palestinians. But the reality, though, is, too, is that the world is also saying to Israel, you have to do it the way we want you to do it. But you know what's so funny is that that they've been listening to the world for 15 years. And October 7th is the result of listening to the world. The world tells them, be gentle, be gentle, be gentle. And they go, okay, but you know they're launching thousands of rockets into our— Okay, I know, but just be gentle, be gentle. And now all of a sudden, what happens? We, the world, allowed— Hamas to fester and October 7th is the result. And what happens now? Israel has to go in and do an absolute clean out of Gaza when it comes to Hamas leadership and Hamas. But why? Because they didn't let Israel do it right the first time, the second time, the third time. They felt that pressure. I don't think Israel's responding this time to the pressure. They're going to get the job done, which is eliminate Hamas. And the sad thing is, is Hamas puts their own people as targets in front of Israeli soldiers. And that makes it very difficult for Israel. Very difficult. Israel's fighting like with one arm behind their back. Yep. And it's very difficult. But that's the way they're going to do I should have just let you say that. Well, I added yeah. three minutes and you could you said it in five seconds. Well, there you go. There you go. And Chris, I do think we ought to say this because you and I talked about this when the war broke out. You know, God doesn't want men, women, boys, girls of any nationality being destroyed, people made in his image being destroyed by people made in his image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and we don't want that, right? It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's sad. It is the result of sin. You know, people will often say, oh, you're friends of Israel, so that must, you've maybe gotten this before, Steve, that must mean you're not a friend of Palestinians, right? Right. That is, that's not true. Actually, the Friends of Israel, we have pastors in Israel who serve the Palestinian people during during Christmas. They, they uh, link arms and they uh, do projects together. Uh, they bless the Palestinian Christians that are there. Um, uh, I know that um, in the past, uh, especially you know in years past before the tension got even worse, um, the youth groups would get together between the Palestinians and Israeli Christians. Um, and... You know, it's not our desire to hate Palestinians. That's not—we're friends of Israel because that's that's the name of our organization. But that doesn't mean we're not friends of the Palestinian people that we believe are innocent. Uh, the question becomes, how many innocent Palestinians are there? That's a, a great question. But it's not our desire, like you said, to see Palestinians suffer. That's never—in fact, we know who the problem is. It's the leadership of Hamas. That's who the problem is. Um, but uh, 
People don't want to listen to that. Um, they just want to say, oh, you must not be a friend of Palestinians mm. if you're friends of, is- of Israel. That's not true. In fact, in Israel, 25% of Israelis are not Jewish. That's right. And the freest Muslims in the Middle East are Israeli Muslims. They're the freest mm. ones. Uh, schools, universities are filled with Palestinian women, Arab, uh, Israeli women uh, who are allowed to drive cars, who don't have to wear uh, hijabs, who don't have to, they conform to anything. That they, Israel is one, the most liberal state. Now, for you and me and Pastor Neil, liberal, we say, well, that's not necessarily good. They're, they're, it's there true. is a difference. That, 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 100%. But, but Israel is a welcoming place. They want people to thrive. Mm-hmm. That, but it's hard to thrive if your life is threatened. We always forget, even when it was before October 7th, rockets have been coming in on a regular basis. That's right. And the attack, I think we need to be reminded, the most progressive, liberal, left-wing Israelis were the ones who were attacked. The ones who were the most sympathetic, the ones who uh, uh, employed people from Gaza every day, the ones who gave them uh, resources, helped them, uh, did politics on behalf of them, were the ones that were viciously attacked. These weren't these weren't the Orthodox. These weren't the uh, right wing yep. Israelis. These were the friends of the Gazians, and that's what happened. One of them mm-hmm. was more. I mean, he sh- I, I don't I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, but uh, they were fighting for the Palestine uh, in a in a good sense, you know, on a on a humanitarian level, and they came and killed that person, and uh, or or um, killed their friends. She was there, or he was there. I forget who it was, but it's the idea that. Their whole life was dedicated to helping the Palestinians. Decade. They that those uh those kibbutzim that were there were there 30, 40 years. Yeah. It's exactly. Amazing. Well, listen, one of the questions that I often get too um is how does this problem get fixed, you know, between Israel and Hamas? Recently, um, the former president, um, Barack Obama, said, you know, this is harming Israel because every when they go in and they do this kind of war, it only creates in children um, an animosity toward Israel. So you're only reinforcing the things mm. that they're... But the reality is, is they don't need this war to be reinforced because, Steve, you have on the, uh, a, a news item here from Senator Blackburn's office, I believe, uh, who is the senator from... Uh, from Tennessee, uh, talking about, um, it's a UN watch fact check, UNRWA educators are linked to anti-Semitism and support for terrorism. So, you know, it's it's interesting because people go, oh, Israel's going in there and they're doing this. It's only going to create angry kids toward Israel. No, actually, our tax dollars have been going into curriculum in Gaza that's training kids to hate Israel and the Jewish people, uh, to to commit acts of terrorism, uh, uh, false information about the realities on the ground, about who the Jewish people are. It teaches them to be anti-Semitic. It's baked into the curriculum that they're learning from. So they don't even need the war. They've been taught this already. And that's from the United Nations. That's right. And that, that's actually how I met. Do you remember our friend? I don't know if you remember this uh, name at all, Neil, from listening to the podcast as our eighth listener, but uh, Bassem Eid. Mm-hmm. Bassem Eid, I met him in Washington, D.C. as a human rights, uh, Palestinian human rights activist because he uh, was appealing to senators and congressmen, um, hey, look, uh, the thing that they're teaching Palestinians, and this is years ago, uh, kids, is to hate Israel and the Jewish people. You've got to stop funding this. And as a Palestinian, he was telling them that. And that's when I first interacted with him because he was like a— he was like a light in the darkness when it comes to this stuff. And so um, anyway, it, the reality is in the news is, yes, you don't the, the war. They've already been trained this way to think to hate Israel and the Jewish people, which doesn't bridge peace at all. It actually continues to divide them even at a young age. Well, Chris, uh, you're going to put those things in the show notes, That's correct? Right. Yep. And you're going to take a picture of Pastor Neil's board. Uh, how long did that take you to put up there, Pastor Neil? Uh, Five minutes. <laughs> I like the clouds. I love the clouds. I like it too. Well, I think we've got one more thing, everybody. Yiddish word of the day. Yiddish word of the day. Steve, do you remember the Yiddish I, word I of the day? I do remember the uh, Yiddish word for the day. Wait, Daniel. Wait, oh, before you say it, though, Steve, you've said this Yiddish word a lot. 
over the years. I have. Because we do conferences together. I do. And that's correct. Now, somehow I've assumed your MC role. That's right. So you are, but you are the master MC. I'm not the master. You have taken over and done a better job. I'm just picking up the crumbs you leave on the floor, my friend. And so you would always say this to all of the people at at our conference. At the end of a day of a conference, Chris, imagine going to our conference, which I love. They're there nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, break for lunch, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. I, I, what I would say to them is go home, get go schluffy. Go schluffy. And in the afternoon, if for lunch, I'd say eat your lunch, go schluffy. <laughs> Which is exactly what Daniel did when he encountered the pre-incarnate Christ. He he plots. He 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 was, he was verklempt. He was verklempt. And he took a nap. That's right. I wish that we were in the po- well, We should have brought the podcast uh, four stages of Jewish exercise. <laughs> Do you remember what they were? One was plots. One was Schwitz. Schwitz. That's yeah. right. I forget the maybe Verklempt. We have to go look yeah, at it. Yeah, we have to go look. Well, maybe it's Daniel's workout. But, but we make sure before you give them their number and tell them about what course is coming. Oh, okay. Well, hold on a minute. I'll do that in one second. I want to thank Pastor Neil for being with us. Man, thank you. Thank you for being a part. Number one, thank you for being he our upgraded A-list. this you are show. A hundred percent. I want to thank you so much for being with uh, Number one, letting us come down here to be a part of what you're doing and letting us bring all of our equipment and being a part of the podcast and, uh, and really holding fast to the truth of God's word. That's awesome, Neil. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, and you also got a mug on a mug. Steve, hold up the mug on a mug. Awesome. There you mug go. Mug yes. on a mug. Well, everyone, listen, I want you to be sure to go uh, to foiequip.org. We've got some great upcoming classes coming, and one of them is going to be Sarit Katz from Camera, who's going to be talking all about does Israel control the media. Man, you want an anti-Semitic trope. There you go right there. Chris, I see Moses. <laughs> Where? At Pastor Neal's... <laughs> There he is. He's I got- see Moses. <laughs> I am home, baby. There you go. That's great. Hey, everybody. Steve finally found Moses. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to Pastor Neil for letting us come. Be sure to go to foiequip.org, and there you can register for all of our upcoming classes. We've got, again, is does Israel control the media? And then Ty Perry is going to be teaching on Ezekiel chapter 37, the dry bones coming back to life. Be sure to go to foiequip.org to register for those classes. Also, text us, 424-444-1948. Hey, we'll see you next week.